and uh, Novak Djokovic was there. And I just remember him looking into my eyes and saying, you know, what you're doing is amazing. I'd love to help. Welcome to Cross Court Chronicles, 73 flights, 46 countries, one year, the journey of Cameron Mofid. My name is Alex Gruskin, really excited to bring you part one of our next season of this podcast, because as I mentioned in the intro, there are so many outstanding story so many incredible ways tennis uh, can help facilitate the interests of tennis fans across the globe it's the experiences so many of us have whether it be training with our friends growing up or going to that court at our local park playing with our loved ones all of the different things tennis can do and it's truly a global experience as well it's one of those few sports played across the globe uh, you know you show up to any tennis court it doesn't matter your religion it doesn't matter your creed your socioeconomic status the fact that you know how to play tennis will immediately connect you with the rest of the tennis community in your presence. And of course, so many of us get to have amazing experiences being across the globe and seeing our favorite tennis stars perform there, you know, tournaments taking place in six of the seven continents. And so there are so many great stories to tell. That's what we've been doing here on the Inside Out podcast. And that's why we, again, are so excited to be joined by Cameron Mofid to tell his story. Cameron, welcome back to the show for part one. How are you feeling? A little bit anxious as we get ready to uh, share some of these details? Yeah, I'm good. Excited. Uh, ready ready to go. Definitely uh, looking forward to, uh, to starting, uh, I guess, part one of, of what was an, a pretty incredible year for me. Yeah. And again, the headline says it all. 73 flights, 46 countries, one year. We are ready to take you on a journey. And part one of this story uh, begins with, you know, not only the journey itself, your destination. And again, all of you listeners, if you want to read more about Cameron's journey, you can find part one as an article on our Cracked Rackets websites. Hopefully all of you are watching this on YouTube. If you're listening to it in podcast form, though, know that you can see both Cameron and my smiling faces, my unshaven face, his cleanly shaven, of course, because he's a professional. Uh, but of course, all of photos and videos Cameron took in this journey as well on this YouTube video. So be sure to go check that out. All right, Cameron, in the intro, I asked you to tell me a little bit about your experiences in tennis. And in the beginning of this journal, you talk about the fact that you were, you know, at 17 years old, a senior at Sanchez Casal. And for those who don't know who are casual tennis fans, Sanchez Casal, one of the elite tennis academies, probably throughout the globe, regardless of where you're from, regardless of where the uh, academy might be located. Tennis was always a big part of your life, but take back for people who don't know, you are 20 now. This journey begins at the end of 18. I'm doing some quick math there. That puts you at about 17, 18 years old. You know, what's going through your mind at that time as these plans for your journey begin to come together? Yeah, so I mean, I guess uh, rewinding back three years before, uh, 17 years old, I'd moved from San Diego to Naples, and uh, was training at, at Sanchez. And I think just being surrounded by so many different students from, from so many different cultures, uh, so many different countries, religions, whatever it was, um, and kind of the tennis aside, just that cultural part of it was really the driving force and, and what made me want to travel, what made me want to see the world um, for these ITF junior tournaments. Uh, you know, we were going to these islands, you know, every week and, 
and, uh, you know, meeting, you know, even more kids outside of the academy from all these different countries and speaking all these languages. Um, you know, as I said in the intro, I was the only student who spoke English in my graduating class, you know, a student of, you know, graduating class of 12 people, seven of them from different countries. Um, so it, it was a, a pretty unbelievable um, experience in that way. Yeah. Well, you know, when you talk about playing I in remote islands, what that tells me uh, is that you must have been pretty good as a junior. And so just again, to provide a little bit more context for the listeners, talk a little bit about your playing career. What were some of the players, you know, maybe you weren't competing against directly, but certainly traveling to these events, getting to see and play, you know, compete with. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, even, even before starting at Sanchez, I remember in, in Miami when we were earlier, we had Brennan uh, Nakashima there. And uh, I would see Brennan around at all the tournaments in San Diego. I mean, of course, he was miles and miles and miles you know, better than me. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I was one of those players, I think, where I just didn't have, per se, the, the talent that, um, you know, I needed to be at the top. You know, I worked very hard. Um, you know, I was in the gym, I was doing yoga classes by myself, I was eating well, I was doing everything I could to be the best I could be. And uh, I'm very proud of that because, you know, I was not, uh, you know, I was never one of the best players in the country. I was never, uh, you know, anywhere near the top of the ITF rankings. You know, for me to even get an ITF ranking, I think, you know, top, you know, kind of proved to myself that you know, I had a goal and I accomplished it. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, just kind of, in these ITF tournaments, uh, you know, Shintaro Mochizuki, he won Wimbledon uh, juniors. Uh, you know, I was a few points away from playing him. We lost in a third set tie break. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, you know, being around those players in, in, in those tournaments was also pretty cool to see their success now. Yeah. And again, that speaks to just being in that environment. And, you know, mine wasn't at the ITF level, but you just grow accustomed to being at tennis events. I know it now when we're doing our cracked rackets tournaments, there's just a level of comfort. I feel knowing, okay, these are my people. These are the people we've all felt a 30 minute delay because this match is going three set and we're all frustrated at these two people who we've never even met or talked to before because their match is taking too long. And it's just the little things like that, or the little side commentary man that guy is trinian or all of these different things you grow up in the tennis culture it's an environment you grow used to surrounding yourself with and you know for me could I have played college tennis? Yes, but not at a university I would have wanted to attend. And so I ultimately had to give up my college tennis passions, my, you know, playing competitively at that level. And I went elsewhere. I went to U of M. You know, that's how we'll differentiate one another. You can call yours UM. We are, we, we've earned the of in between. Uh, myself, Michigan, I know you went to the University of Miami. That's a joke for you listeners at home, some context. Um, but, you know, for me, making that decision to go to U of M, I knew I was going to be giving up competitive tennis. And, you know, that's something if our Crack Rackets fans are well aware of that it was always hard for me to deal with. And that's why I turned to club tennis uh, for you, knowing that, again, you, you grow up training at Sanchez Casal. A lot of those players you just mentioned, they're still playing professional tennis now. Uh, to know, you know, how much did that, you know, the fact that you knew probably pro tennis wasn't in the cards for you and just dealing with that recognition, that realization, what was that process like for you? And again, you talk about it a little bit in the piece. How did that lead to this trip? Yeah, it, it was actually a rough, I remember it was around Thanksgiving of my senior year and uh, just something to put 
networking, you know, it was right around the time when college, uh, you know, application process was, and, um, you know, I just didn't, I, I definitely, I, you know, I could have played at a lot of D1 schools. Um, you know, I had a good, a lot of offers from, you know, some scholarship offers to play, um, at schools that I, I didn't really want to go to. And so for me, it was just this kind of inner war. There was, you know, and nothing that the academy did wrong. It was just, you know, I'm surrounded by, you know, an academy that's nurturing either collegiate players or professional players. And for me to say, all right, well, I'm going to be the only one that doesn't even play college tennis. Um, and at the time I didn't have legends United, which is my foundation. You know, I wasn't involved with any of the professional tournaments. And so, you know, it definitely was, was, it was a tricky thing for me because, um, I just didn't want to let anyone down and want to let my mom down, you know, who, who had, you know, sent me there. I didn't, um, you know, want my peers to kind of look down on me a little bit. But at the same time, I kind of trusted that I needed to be doing something else that I was, you know, going to be passionate about going into college. You know, I didn't want to, um, you know, hate tennis for four years in college. Um, I didn't want to be unhappy in that way. And so when I stopped, it was, you know, finally like this breath of fresh air. And uh, I remember I went to New York, I visited NYU and uh, I came back and I said, you know what, I want to start a business or, or something project. And I just, I got back in early January and I made a list of uh, 25 ideas, you know, ranging from, you know, automated stringing machine to apps <laughs> players and, and uh, Legends United was, was kind of born in a way. Yeah, I, I think what people don't realize in, in when you do something like Legends United or something like a Great Shot podcast, so often it literally comes down to just sitting down and saying, hey, I have this idea, let me take action with it. Hey, you know, for us making this podcast, it was literally me just pestering you know, Max Rothman, Max Fliegner, uh, my two great job podcast co-founders and being like, hey, just entertain me. Like, just record this once for me. If it sucks, I'll never ask you again, but I don't think it's going to suck. And I guess it'll be up to the listeners to make that decision. But, you know, the fact that we're three years in, I think some of the jury is out. It doesn't completely suck. Uh, and so, yeah, for you, obviously, uh, Legends United did not suck. That led to so many great opportunities for you. And ultimately, you end up partnering with Nick Kyrgios and, you know, getting to do some really cool things because of that. We've talked about it before, but again, to our listeners who this story is new for, can you talk a little bit about what Legends United was, where you sort of told us where it came from, but ultimately, you know, what you were able to accomplish through it? Yeah, so I guess I'll go back to, uh, to the, the genesis of it. I was, I had this idea to take professional tennis players equipment, memorabilia, and uh, auction it off. Initially to auction it off, we wound up, you know, just selling it, you know, at a fixed price, but to auction it off for different charities. And Casper uh, Fernandez, uh, he was a student at the academy who passed away of bone cancer, Ewing sarcoma, right before I got to the academy. And so I never get to meet Casper, but um, you know, obviously his legacy was, was all around. You know, it was a lot of, it was literally a month after he passed, I was there. And so I said, you know what, I think it would be pretty cool to, you know, partner with different player-based charities and maybe specifically Ewing Starcoma um, to do something there. And so I wound up, Emilio Sanchez, you know, he's been one of my greatest mentors, a friend of mine, uh, you know, someone that, that I admire so much, uh, number one in the world in, in doubles, uh, you know, Olympic champion, uh, Grand Slam champion. And he connected. Can I just say what's so funny is that's not even the biggest name drop you'll have of this series, but yes, go on. <laughs> yeah. And so Emilio, um, 
connected me with internships. I uh, started in Delray Beach. Um, and so I got all the players information there. And I actually met Nick playing basketball. Uh, this is back in 2018. 2018. Uh, you know, players were really nice, made a lot of great connections. Uh, and so the Bryans were there, you know, and, and for me, I, I was 17 at the time. And uh, to have you know, all these players giving me their phone numbers and emails. I felt a little bit like a superstar. Um, and Peter Goyovchuk, uh, he was by himself that week and he made the finals and I was with him all week, you know, kind of training him uh, because he didn't have coaches there that week. And so um, moving along, you know, Emilio uh, sent me off to, uh, let's see, I went, uh, I did Sarasota Challenger. I did Miami Open before that actually. Um, and then I went to Europe. I did Barcelona, Munich, and Madrid. Um, and uh, in Madrid, that's actually where I decided, which is what I write about in the memoir, is kind of the tipping point of me wanting to take a gap year because I had already been accepted to UM. I was just a few weeks out from, uh, from graduating from high school. And uh, Novak Djokovic was there. Uh, he passed right by me and he said, uh, I walked up to him and kind of gave him my pitch, you know, not really knowing what to expect. And, you know, I just remember him looking into my eyes and saying, you know, what you're doing is amazing. Uh, I'd love to help. Genuinely, you know, he said, wait here 15 minutes. He went upstairs, got his match shirt. He beat Nishikori from earlier in the day. Um, and his agent came out. We did pictures and videos and he signed his shirt. And uh, I remember going back inside. This actually isn't in the memoir. But I remember going back inside and uh, I was already a little bit emotional. You know, Novak had, you know, it was my childhood idol and, and Emilio was there and he was trying to introduce me to the uh, future tournament director, Feliciano Lopez. And, <laughs> and so I go up there and I'm just, you know, a little bit shaken already. And he's trying to talk to me and I'm just trying not to talk because I just knew I was, you know, going to uh, cry or something. And, and, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's it was it's a crazy time. Yeah, no, that is so cool to hear. And again, I really do uh, recommend viewing this on YouTube if you're listening in podcast form because you have the photo of yourself rocking a beautiful jean jacket, I might add, and Novak Djokovic with his Lacoste shirt. Uh, and again, you know, it's it's even before that, some of the trips you've gotten to take throughout your career. You talk about working in Delray. You want to know what it's like to be a Delray intern. Go look at these photos. It's you printing out all the press credentials or in the press credential room and you know that is what life when you're trying to break in you take off the little jobs any opportunity to get into the door of the tennis industry uh, you have to pursue because tennis is not an industry with a plethora of options right you really have to carve your own path if you want a way in and I also think that's one of the takeaways and obviously given what we're trying to do here at Crack Rackets that's why your story appeals to us so much because you know yeah the Novak Djokovic headline and then meeting Feliciano Lopez gets buried you know that's probably the lead uh but what you did with legends united again turning player para uh para, i want to say paraphernalia but i don't think that's the word uh turning you know just taking all this memorabilia thank you there it is it's in the belia family uh to take uh, all this player memorabilia get it signed uh and then you know use the profits to donate to charity. That's just not something you think of off of the top of your head. And of course, every person has stood in line, right? You know, after a match, if you were a kid, you tried to get the player who won to sign that tennis ball, or you tried to catch the ball that they rocket off in 
into the crowd, whatever it may be. Legends United makes that experience just much more reasonable. And it's also supporting such a great cause. And so it's so great to hear how many players were receptive to your efforts for Legends United. And you talk about it, you know, to, to have to take a chance there and uh, to decide, hey, I think I'm going to take a gap here because what I'm doing seems to be working. There seems to be some momentum behind it. Obviously, that is so incredible. My question to you here, and this gets into the next part of the story, do you make that decision without knowing you had the support from obviously Nick, but also Christos Kyrgios that you did? And how did you, you know, eventually earn or how did you earn that support? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess. So I'm with Feliciano and, and with Emilio in, in Madrid and uh, we go, I, you know, I kind of try to cut the conversation short and I just remember rushing to, I didn't want to even use the bathroom in the, around the players. <laughs> I didn't want anyone to walk in. I just remember running to this, you know, one of the public bathrooms on, on the tournament site and just going to one of the stalls and just, yeah, just let everything out. I was crying and, shaking and uh just that was kind of the first it wasn't it was i didn't even know what was going on it was just so many different emotions and that's when i kind of said all right this is something i have to really consider i go back to the academy i finished my classes so i was done with high school pretty much my graduation it was like a four-day break uh between classes finishing and graduation and i dm'd christos and said hey uh, on Instagram, with the Legends United Instagram. At that point, we had you know, a significant amount of memorabilia. I had collected a lot of stuff from the players um, in Madrid and, and in Munich and Barcelona and Miami and uh, Del Rey. And uh, I kind of just, I said, Christos, you know, I'd be interested in supporting the NK Foundation, seeing if we could help each other out in some ways. And, uh, you know, we got into a call. And I thought about it and I said, look, you know, I have the support now of, of Christos and, and the NK Foundation. And I think I'm doing some good things. I built the website. I had a, a good following on the Instagram. And I said, all right, let's do it. And I called UM and said, look, is there any, any way? I know it's very late. It was June, uh, June 1st. I said, is there any way that I could uh, delay my gap year? This is what I'm doing. And it was cutting it close because, you know, I was only a couple months out of starting in my freshman year. And they said, okay, uh, you can do it. And uh, yeah, the rest is history. Now, obviously, it was a great decision to make. And as you're partnering with the Nick Curios Foundation, you talk about this, you get to travel across Asia and Europe. And, you know, we get to see some of those photos as well. And I, I can only imagine getting to do that, not only getting to collect memorabilia and raise money for an excellent cause, such as the Nick Curios Foundation, which for those who aren't aware, you know, supports underprivileged youth in their sporting ambitions. Uh, that was a nice little precursor, right, to your travels i have to imagine you could do a separate series on some of the fun you had going around for legends united yeah i mean there's there's a lot of fun stories i remember after i graduated i think i went where did i go first i went to newport rhode island i want to say um after i graduated in july there's a there's a gap there i'm missing but i went to no yeah i went to newport in july uh, Ram Kumar was one of my sweet mates. Uh, he was around 130 or 140 in the world at the time. And, uh, he wound up making the finals of that 250 event. And so I went there and supported him and was in his, his camp the whole time. And just seeing him make the finals of 250 for him, that was a dream come true. Uh, he lost a tough one to Stevie and, 
and uh, the support of Todd Martin there. I collected so much stuff for the foundation and, and went on to intern in uh, world team tennis for the New York Empire. Not even intern, I shouldn't say. I guess that's a disrespect to the real interns, but I was a volunteer there uh, for, for a few days. And I went to DC for the event there to, on behalf of the foundation. I went over to uh, US Open after that, Asia. I did, uh, I was in Bangkok, I was in Singapore, I was in Hong Kong, Macau. Uh, then flew over to Europe for the tournaments uh, next gen in Milan and, and the, the finals in London. Um, and so went back to, I used to train at uh, Rafa's Academy in Mallorca, Rafa Nadal's Academy. And so went to visit friends there. So even before this 2019, you know, I think I set myself up pretty well and I was, I was definitely ready to travel. Yeah, no. And again, you, you sort of talk about some of those experiences in the written piece. And, you know, as you look through the photos, uh, you know, so many cool things you were able to do during this first time, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I have looked through the photos, there's a video of you going bungee jumping. Uh, and I think that's a precursor to some future skydiving that we see later on as well. But The bungee jumping happened in your travels for Legends United, correct? Yeah, I was in Hong Kong. There was a WTA International event there. And uh, it was, I think I was only there for one or two more days. And it was at the end of the tournament. Um, I had done what I wanted to for the foundation. And Macau is about an hour away. And it's where the tallest bungee jump in the world was. And I was 18, so I didn't have to have uh, my mom sign any liability waivers or anything. <laughs> she didn't even tell her about it. Um, and so I got over there. I didn't tell her about it until after the fact. So I got over there and, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty intimidating, but, uh, I jumped off that and I had a great day. It was kind of like the Las Vegas of the East, uh, and, uh, I played Baccarat and I, I won, won a little bit there. And so I got, had a bunch of, uh, Macanese supporters behind me at the casino. I actually had to sneak into the casino I believe because you had to be 21 to gamble in Macau. I got kicked out of the Venetian, I think. <laughs> and I had to go to like the, uh, I don't even know, MGM or something like that, uh, you know, to a different uh, casino. But yeah, it was, uh, it was a good time. Yeah. Very much worthwhile, right? Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was very worthwhile. Yeah, no, that's so awesome to hear. And, you know, during your travels as well for Legends United, you talked about getting to play basketball with Nick Kyrgios. Oh no, look, AD would have liked that. Yeah. Oh no, look, AD would have liked that. Uh, there's also a beautiful moment where you get crossed up by Bernard Tomich. And uh, I just got to ask, you know, tennis players as hoopers, better or worse than you would expect? No, Bernard and Nick are unbelievable. Uh, Nick, <laughs> I, I, I was under the impression that Nick, if he had put his mind to it, could have been a professional basketball player. I've watched him, I think, in the players' lounge go like eight or nine free throws in a row. Um, it's it's pretty incredible. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've got I played with him uh, 2018, 2019. Yeah, so I'm in uh, in Delray. I had just finished up Kevin Anderson's charity event uh, just a couple months before. I was uh, helping out there and uh, the Bryans and and uh, Kevin and Tennis Sandgren. They donated a bunch of you know, rackets and shoes and shirts and uh, fast forward. So now 2019, my year is starting. 
I went to the Dominican Republic with a Filipino alum of mine, a friend of mine. His name was Manu, and so chilled there for a bit. Go back to Delray uh, for the 2019 tournament, on, mostly on behalf of Legends United this time. And uh, in the players' lounge, and Nick and Bernard are, are, are there playing basketball. Nick, uh, actually, I got to play with Nick this time, so you know, I was on the same side as him. But Bernard, um, yeah, that was, was one of the more embarrassing moments of, uh, of my sporting career. He, uh, he put, I, I will, we'll show the video, I think on the pod or on the, uh, on the video pod, but he, uh, yeah, I don't know, kind of, uh, juked me out and held the ball between his legs and fooled me like a, like a school child. So that wasn't. <laughs> no, I mean, look, that's, that's just, uh, that's what happens anytime you compete against a pro athlete, I suppose in anything, right? Like to expect to be able to hang at their level, not the easiest thing in the world. And again, just to sort of talk about the things behind the scenes, to be able to travel tournament to tournament, you know, event to event, see these pros, not only compete on the court, but also what they're like themselves having to do all this travel and, you know, having what they're like off the court in between matches. What, what tidbits would you share? What things were you maybe surprised about that our listeners would find interesting? Yeah, I mean, I think tennis, I think some, I mean, I guess, I guess it depends on the player, but sometimes I think um, tennis players give off, you know, the fact that they're a little bit more serious than they actually are, you know, and, and so, you know, these players, they lose, especially in the smaller events, and, uh, you know, they like to have a good time. And so this is a story I didn't write about in my memo, but I'm happy to share it here. Uh, so nice. Bernard, yeah, so Bernard, um, yeah, I mean, keep it, keep it rated R. I was going to say with Bernard, not NC 17, R at the limit. Yeah, I mean, so look, I mean, I think he, he has a very misconstrued uh, reputation. I mean, there are some things he says and does that, of course, I think he regrets and, and aren't so good. But he's, he's a very generous, he's a very good guy. Um, you know, I, I've, I, he kind of, you know, took me under his wing that week and, and uh, he invited me out. Uh, so I remember I was, how old was I? I was 19, 18. I was still 18. And uh, yeah, just about to turn 19. And it was going to be my first time uh, going to a nightclub and I was pretty excited. And, and he said, ah, oh, you know, come out. Let's, uh, well, you know, I, I lost. Actually, no, he was still in. Sorry, it was before, before he lost. And he was still in. It was before his first round match. It was like, I think he had a match at 11 a.m. And it was like... He said, come out. And I remember I, I didn't have any ID to get in. I wasn't going to, you know, you needed to be 21 when I was 18. And Bernard, he, he likes to spend big. So he got, uh, I showed up at a table and all that. And uh, he just said, look, like, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to have you, you know, I don't want to, it, it'd be a pretty bad look if I walk in with you and I get, you know, pictures yeah. media, the Australian media already hates me and, and I'm already in hot water. So, try to get in and do what you can. And I kind of, you know, dodged around a little bit and was able to uh, borrow an alternative identification. <laughs> uh, you know, for another way to say it, I guess. Anyways, you got into the bar. Yes. Got into the bar. And uh, yeah, that was a, that was a magical night, wasn't it? That was fun. Uh, I remember, and that actually kind of changed so much of my life because that night I went, another tennis fan recognized Bernard name was Robbie and uh first I was like oh who's this guy like just trying to come up to Bernard but he was super cool and he was an unbelievable tennis player when he was a junior and uh now even now our so Robbie's friend group is now my closest friend group here in Miami 
I spend uh, so much time with them. And uh, so that night really changed, uh, I don't want to say the course of my life, but I guess it kind of did. No, anytime the story starts nightclub with Bernard Tomich, you absolutely have my attention. Um, I feel like when you get into the bar, does he latch you into the table? He's like, dude, you yeah. made it? Of course, of course, of course. He brings me in and, and uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see if we want to put some of these pictures and videos in. Uh, well, I'll say this. Was he surprised to see you? No, no, he was, he was, he was, he happy. was proud. He was like, you made it. Well, yeah, done. he was nice. I mean, he's awesome. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, it was, we had our own like VIP section. It wasn't even a table and uh, a lot of, a lot of bottles. And uh, he had a very animated friend, Sheldon, who was, uh, you know, also awesome. And uh, yeah, that was just a pretty awesome, pretty awesome yeah. night. For me. I remember. And uh, the next day he lost, I think he lost doubles first round and singles first round, but uh, but yeah, I mean it, it was still a great event as far as. Yeah. I'm- but it made it into the cross court chronicles, so I think in the end, absolutely a win. And for you again, uh, you know your six months you spend traveling for the Nick Curious Foundation for Legends United. Uh, by the end of it, you had grown a pretty solid revenue stream, correct? Yeah. So by the end of February beginning of March, we had so much stuff in inventory and I had been collecting from February of the year before, and we'd only launched the store in October, November, end of October. And so we still had so much inventory left and we were trying to figure out, do we do auction or buy it now? And uh, yeah, I mean, stuff was selling good. We had, you know, racket shirts, Andy Murray donated stuff. Um, Novak had donated, the Bryan brothers donated tons of stuff. We'll throw up the pictures there. Kevin Anderson had donated stuff. Um, And so for me, I think at that point in time, I said, all right, everything's, I shipped so much stuff to Australia to Christos. I said, Christos, store it. He had a professional photographer, professional coder, do the website. And uh, everything was going really well. That was kind of where I said, all right, this is where I want the foundation to be. I'm, I'm really happy. No. And again, from there, you set yourself up in a position to have a little bit of fun before you go off to the University of Miami. And so as we round out this part one, because, you know, part two will really get into your journey heading off to Mallorca, getting on the plane, as you mentioned, at the start of 2019, you come back, you work the Del Rey event, uh, and then you start to, you know, you go to the Miami Open, I believe that year, but then from there, you get ready to head off on your journey. You know, at what moment do you buy that first airfare or set up all the trip at what moment did you go you know what i'm pulling the trigger on this experience yeah so it's uh Dari beach it was a great tournament i had a lot of fun we did a lot of good things for madison keys foundation uh, madison keys charity fearlessly girl um we did some good stuff for Amelia sanchez's foundation for sean carl foundation they did UN coma research uh, for nick's foundation and uh so after that i went to miami open and to be honest, I didn't love it. I didn't love the new tournament. Uh, it wasn't as special for me as Key Biscayne. Uh, I had my 19th birthday over the Miami Open. And so I was starting to feel a little bit older. I mean, I know that sounds ridiculous, but, you know, I said, all right, well, my gap year is almost over. And uh, yeah, I kind of just said, all right, I'm going to go for this. My friends from uh, Rafa's Academy uh, said, you know, you should uh, come over and come visit us. It's been a while. Uh, and I said, all right. So I booked a one-way flight to Mallorca. 